0: We have various scripture passages for this morning, and rather than read them prior to the message, I will be reading them throughout the course of the message. Let's open with prayer. Dear Father, as we come today, this morning, to look at your word, we ask that you would impress upon each of our hearts the message that you have for us as individuals. We realize that your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword to accomplish the purpose for which you have set it. That you work through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit to touch us as individuals, to accomplish healing in our hearts, to accomplish repentance, to accomplish conviction, to accomplish determination, to bring about holiness and maturity in faith. We ask that you would do that through this message and through your word this morning. I pray that my words would be faithful to your word in keeping with the message that you have given to us in your word because your word alone is holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Long ago, man was treated to a life which is less than a dim vision now. We cannot even imagine that life that was. A life where our labor and success did not come out of the sweat of our brow. There were no thorns of any sort to contend with in our efforts. A life where there was no enmity or danger between humans and animals of any sort, including snakes. A life where there was no pain in childbirth. A life where all man had to do was to reach up and take the fruit, ready for the picking and the eating, and tend a garden already planted, beautiful, producing whatever was needed available for the taking. Genesis 2, beginning with verse 8, gives us a picture of this life. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resonant ants are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, with, of course, one exclusion. We read that picture and we understand how life changed in a moment by turning to Genesis 3, beginning with verse 14. Following the deception in the fall. The sin of Adam and Eve. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing, with pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken." For dust you are, to dust you will return. (coughs) We get a picture in the first passage and by negative example in the second passage as well of the life that was in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned against God's law. At the point at which they sinned against God's law and God gave them this judgment, (coughs) the world changed forever. But is there any hope of going back to that time and place? Yes, only through one door. That door was revealed on the same day that the door to this previous life that was was shut to Adam and Eve and, and all of their descendants. You and I cannot return to the garden where man was in harmony with God and with the rest of God's creation. It is impossible to return to that world, to return to that life, to return to that place. But because God promised one who would bruise the head of that serpent, Satan, in his prophecy, we can celebrate the fruits of the perfect world to come. All because of the birth of the Messiah, his life on this earth, which was a life unblemished with sin, and his sacrificial death on the cross sufficient price paid to offer forgiveness of our sins should we trust in him for our salvation. Because of the promise made in the garden that the evil, sinful aspect of life had not come to rule permanently, because Satan's triumph was not absolute, his victory not complete, believers throughout the centuries have lived in a world which gives them a taste of the Garden of Eden. In a world even better than that, which is heaven to come, in the present life, while the fulfillment remains to be a yet longed for hope. When Christ came to earth, much of the fulfillment of the promised glorious future for those who believed in the Messiah was fulfilled. That is something that we have to realize, while there is still much yet to be accomplished at his return. And since he has come once, in his coming, and through his coming, you and I already see signs of the world returning to the glories of the Garden of Eden. We experience, we witness, and we read of signs pointing to heaven, which is to come. So this week I would like you to look with me at the signs in nature, signs surrounding the birth of Christ and his life on this earth, signs which continue to and through this day to day. Signs pointing to the freeing of God's creation from the bonds of the curse. Turn with me for a minute, if you would, please, to the bottom of the bulletin. (coughs) Under the order of worship is printed a verse, Romans 8.22. I'd like us to read this aloud together, please. We know that the whole creation has been groaning As in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. (coughs) Now, that that is a message that Scripture speaks to us clearly. All creation has been subjected to the consequences of the curse brought about by the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, (coughs) just as mankind has been cursed through this sin. How has creation been cursed? After all, you don't imagine that the rose bush wants to wear thorns, do you? <clears throat> or that weeds want to be weeds, useless interlopers, which spoil the efforts of valuable plants to flourish and produce valuable crops? Now, of course, I'm speaking as though plants and also animals have feelings like humans, and they are not like humans. But nevertheless, the point is still true, as we have just read in Romans 8.22, nature struggles as well. The curse has affected every aspect of our lives. And so as this week we look at the way in which nature (coughs) is returning to the glories of the Garden of Eden, next next week we will look at the way in which human relationships are returning to the relationships established in the Garden of Eden. All because of one thing, all through one door, and that is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This past week, I was commenting to Sandy that it seems as if every night I have come home to something different that has gone wrong in the home, some sort of repair job or worry about getting some one or another repair job done. In the last two weeks, we've had our water supply line to our basement replaced, We've needed to repair the cutouts in the driveway due to the trenching of the water line, which, of course, I've been telling everybody that this Christmas we have been decorating in red. (laughs) If you know what the soil looks like in this area, you you know what I mean. The washer has been acting up and not working properly. The refrigerator has been leaking water because of a plugged drain hole. The floor under the refrigerator has been, the wood has been cupping because of the water dripping from the drain hole onto the floor. The Christmas tree, shorter than those of previous years, nevertheless had a trunk too large for the stand, of course. (laughs) Two strands of Christmas tree, now you understand, I am uh, methodical about Christmas tree lights, and the ones I like are the old-fashioned ones with the big bulbs. One of the reasons I like them is because when one goes out, you take it out and you put another one in. Right? What happens when one goes out of the little strands? (laughs) They're gone. (laughs) Well, this week my wonderful plan um, backfired on me. Two strands of our Christmas tree light managed to short out, and there are fuses in them, which is very nice, but they shorted out in such a way that they fused And, unfortunately, they were the bottom ones, the farthest in. So, well, what can I say? All of these things are relatively minor things. But they are examples, to me and to all of us, you have all kinds of stories like that. A tree falling on your garage. Others of you have had water lines that have gone wrong. Various things happen to us, and we witness through these things the reality of life on this earth. Our existence is made up of a life of sweat and tears. Entropy is a law of our existence, so the galvanized water pipe is guaranteed to leak if put under pressure after years and years of service. How has Christ's birth in Bethlehem changed all this? Has it changed all this? First, I'm thankful to note that Christ's coming in Bethlehem has changed it. Things have changed. Now, admittedly, we continue to go through these struggles, the realities of life. We have to put up with these things now. But this is not a forever thing. We are not condemned to, as the mythology puts it, <clears throat> the God who was condemned to push the rock up the hill only for it to get loose and come back down again and push it back up the hill again get loose, come back down again forever and ever and ever. When Christ was born we read in scripture that in Matthew 2 verse 1 after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And skipping on through the point which Herod told them to go and then return and tell him what they had found, After they had heard the king, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. In this world, the people consider to have come about by randomness. Stars do not beckon. Stars do not lead. Stars do not point to the birth of little children in a signal way. Yet because this child was the Son of God, equal to God, in very nature God himself, being born as a human child, God sent a star to deliver this message. To these wise men, to those assembled in Jerusalem, and to the witnesses of following ages, us included. So please, God through his all-powerful control of the firmament of heaven, everything that he has created, that he should put his creation in sync, together with, tied in unison with, this most glorious of events, the birth of this child, so that nature, the created realm, would have the opportunity to witness directly to the creator. How many light years did it take for this star to track its way to the point where the wise men would see it at the time of Christ's advent. Who knows? Nevertheless, we know from the record of Scripture that it was there on time. It signaled with dumb fury. It made its point. In the midst of our religion versus science debates of this century, this sign of the star is a signal event for us and for our comprehension of our universe. It reminds us that God controls even to the point of putting things in order in miraculous ways. He controls the medium. This was a star. He controls the timing to coincide with the birth of his son. He controls the witnesses, the wise men, who are looking into the skies and what should they see? A star that was a sign sent to them. And he stages the event This was so foretold that the religious leaders in Jerusalem were able to say when the wise men got there asking about the star and the birth of a child, yes, this will happen in Bethlehem, God's word in link with nature. With this event in mind, we need not fear that scripture will be confounded by the findings of science. We know it is possible for religious scholars and scientists alike to come to the wrong conclusions working on scriptural and scientific evidence that they have before them. But it is impossible for the right interpretation of God's Word to be in conflict with the right findings in interpretation of God's creation, because it is His. So at Christmas, you and I need to celebrate the fact that those things that go wrong Those things that go right are controlled, nevertheless, by the hand of the Lord God Almighty. He has it in his hand. Later in the life of Christ, we read that he entered into Jerusalem, that place where this first point in his life, when the wise men came through Jerusalem, that place where the religious leaders had consulted with Herod and the wise men to point out that the birth of the Messiah would be in Bethlehem, And at this point in his life, later in his life, the last week in his life, he entered Jerusalem amidst the jubilation of the common people, to the sneers, the jealousy, the discomfort, and the hatred of perhaps some of the very religious leaders who had pointed the wise men to the place where he was to be born. Luke 19, 37 and following. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, and set at liberty by the power of the almighty God and the advent of the Christ child. Whoever heard of stones crying out in praise of anyone or anything? When's the last time you heard a rock talk? Remember the pet rocks back in the 70s? They sure tried to convince us they'd talk. Be our friends, do all those kinds of things. Rather a humorous fad, shall we call it. But we can be certain that those stones, dumb though they were, would have made enough noise to wake the dead had the followers of Christ not recognized and celebrated his triumphal entry. As we look further specifically into the life of Christ, what do we say to his walking on water and Peter's following suit? What do we say to his calming the storms over the Sea of Galilee with the words, Peace be still? How many of us, if we have little children, can calm them with the words, Peace, be still. Oftentimes we don't have even enough control to accomplish that. What can we say at five loaves and two fish feeding over 5,000 people? All of these prove the power of God over the creation. And who but the Creator controls the creation? So the child born in that stable was none other than the Christ child, the Messiah sent from God, the Son of God himself. These are all things that I'm looking with you at in the past. They are in the words of Scripture, aren't they? And so you might say to me, that's fine. We recognize that God is still in control, and he causes nature to fall into step with his plan. To, to go back into harmony again with what he created it for. But do we appreciate? Do we enjoy any of this? Is any of this a reality of our lives today? Are, are we destined to struggle manfully against nature because we are not in harmony with it? <clears throat> we celebrate one of the most glorious realities of nature in harmony with God's plan in our own lives. That plan was fulfilled by the sacrificial death of Christ, proven triumphant by his resurrection. We read of it in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory, where, O death, is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What we are looking at this Christmas and every Christmas it's not a history book filled with visions of sugar plums and marching tin soldiers. To make our mouths water and fill our minds with misty visions of what might be. We have a history book written by the hand of God as holy men were taught by the Holy Spirit. It is full of hope fulfilled, alive, victory alive, well and living, transported not merely into the lives of those we read about in scripture, but transported down through the ages to all who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. All who will fulfill the purpose of creation, which is to give honor and glory to the Creator and Redeemer of mankind, the Savior Jesus Christ. These words from 1 Corinthians tell us that the ultimate victory of sin brought about by the fall of Adam, for which he and Eve and all succeeding generations were cast out of the perfect Garden of Eden that ultimate victory of sin has been erased. That is the cause of disharmony in nature between us and one another, between us and God, the reason that we struggle with thorns in every aspect of our lives, the reason in which we do not enjoy rain when we are planning on doing something outside. The ultimate victory of sin has been erased. It has been defeated by the victory of Jesus Christ. The consequences of sin eternal death following physical death are no longer ours to fear in this world in which people are constantly afraid of death they come up to the point of death with great fear we as the people of Jesus Christ do not need to fear this step of life because we trust in the one who has accomplished victory he has defeated this hurdle Our death, as we trust in Christ, is merely a movement from this life into the life which is harmony. I'm glad that the rocks were not forced to shout the praises of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, because as Christ reveals, since the people were shouting his praises, it was not necessary for the rocks to join in. Christmas is upon us. Nature proclaims the wonders of God's glory. We, the people of Christ, must not be absent in our praise. We must not be silent. We must not let that star wind its way to the town of Bethlehem in silence without human eyes to see and observe and voices to praise the birth which it was sent to bear witness to. We must not force the rocks to cry out because we are silent. We must celebrate the ultimate victory to come the reality which keeps us as followers of Christ from despair as we face the future, looking to the certainty of physical death, which will face all who remain, who leave this earth before Christ's return. And we also look forward to these mysteries being fulfilled because what we read about in Scripture and those who have been a part of Steve's Sunday School class have been looking at in the book of Revelation, we are promised a new heaven and a new earth. We have glimpses and tastes of harmony in nature by God's power and work today. We have the strongest evidence of that in the fact that we need not fear death. But we have a certainty that in the future the Garden of Eden will be as nothing compared with what is to come. How can all this be? We read in Isaiah 11 verse 8, this new heaven and new earth this is just one symbol a picture for us the infant will play near the hole of the cobra the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest how can it happen how given the world as we know it now world gone wrong can this ever change how can things be made right again because christ came to earth and his plan is not finished for we read in isaiah 11 9 they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray. Dear Father, we ask that you would impress upon us your power and might at work in creation around us. That you would continue to give us glimpses of the way in which you have caused nature to sing forth your praises. That as we witness this, that it would bear testimony. To the birth, life, the sacrificial death and the resurrection of the Christ child, his reigning supreme in heaven on the throne. that as we witness these things, that we would be as the wise men, that we would be as the disciples as they march triumphantly with Christ into Jerusalem, people who bear witness, people who give glory and honor and praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We would be people who marvel at the birth of the Christ child, give precious gifts to the Christ child, those things that are precious to us, every aspect of our lives and of our hearts and of our souls, so that you might use the gifts that we give to your honor and your glory. We thank you for nature. We thank you for creation. We thank you that in the way in which Adam and Eve caused it all to fall apart, that you have put it back together again. And we have a hope of a new heaven and new earth. Cause us to have faith in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.